The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you compelling interviews, thoughtful market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm Dominic Chu, filling in for Bob Pisani. Trading volumes may be light thanks to the World Cup, the holiday season, and confusion over 2023, but don't be fooled. There's plenty of movement bubbling under the surface. Today on the show, we'll discuss some of the heavy ETF volumes and bright spots that we've seen. Plus, Granite Shares is set to launch three new leveraged single-stock ETFs tomorrow, allowing investors to place amplified bets on Meta, Alibaba, and NVIDIA. We'll discuss why single-stock ETFs have gained traction this year. And finally, we'll try to make sense of the commodity story as investors grapple with uncertainty over China's reopening, the Fed, and the inflation picture. Here's my conversation with Tom Lydon, Vice Chairman at Vetify, along with Will Rind, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Gentlemen, thanks to both of you for joining us here on the ETF Edge. I mean, Tom, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, with the bigger picture macro side of things. Talk to us about some of these hot trends in the ETF business right now. What exactly are we learning about investor appetite for risk, the tolerance for it, as we get ready to close out this year, 2022, and go on to next year, 2023? Yeah, Tom, you mentioned China, and all eyes are on China. The Chinese government's on a mission. Uh, They're looking for a rebound. So they're supporting uh, real estate in a big way. The coronavirus protocols have been a little bit lax, which which is great. As more people are coming back, they're going to stores, they're going to casinos. Uh, real estate prices are back. They're encouraging people to buy properties. Uh, also, we know that China does not want to disconnect from the global capital markets. So all the saber-rattling that we've seen back and forth with the SEC looking to maybe delist Chinese Chinese stocks in the next couple of years, probably not going to happen. So is this a buying opportunity? Absolutely. There are valuations that we haven't seen in decades. And when you mention companies like, or ETFs like KWeb, the Crane Shares China Internet ETF, down 80% since the spring of last year. However, just in the last couple of months, it's up 50% off its lows. So there are definitely opportunities there. When you look at valuations, um, many are saying generational opportunities. But also there are other areas like fixed income. We saw negative flows in fixed income earlier in the year. However, the Fed has been a little bit more transparent. We've also seen redemptions out of fixed income uh, mutual funds into ETFs as tax loss harvesting has been the year uh, for that for sure, both in the equity and, and on the fixed income side. And, you know, a, a couple other areas, we're going to talk a little bit about commodities. We've actually seen uh, metals and miners really kick in in the last couple of months. And I can't help but mention Kathy Wood. We haven't talked a lot about her lately. Her ETF arc is down over 70% off the highs. But if you liked it for all the reasons you liked it a year and a half ago and you had a 5% allocation, why wouldn't you think about nibbling away with the great valuations that we have today? 
All right. So, so the depressed values is certainly something a lot of folks are out there watching. I mean, Will, I'll, I'll turn to you here. Are there any other key trends that have stood out to you? I mean, you run an ETF business. We, we, we've seen a decisive shift away from some of these growth and tech media telecom type stocks towards almost value oriented, dividend paying, dividend yielding type assets in that mad dash for yield. Although I will point out that I guess even risk free treasuries are giving you anywhere from three and a half to four and a half percent right now. What happens to that trade, that value trade, that yield trade, so to speak? Well, like you say, I think people focused on what worked this year, and that was really commodities is one of the few places where people made money. And that will continue in my mind next year. The other thing you just mentioned has also been a big trend this year, which is income or yield products really coming back to the fore, as opposed to being sort of overshadowed for the last few years, particularly by some of the growth um, and some of the growth investments. Now, we're in a situation where people are looking to prioritize cash flows, prioritize income, and really adopt a much more of a defensive posture. And so that's where income products come in. And I think income will continue to do well, even though obviously interest rates are rising and have been rising quickly this year. I still think that that more uh, you know, value oriented play, people looking for high income products will continue. Will, could I follow up on that just, just really briefly? I mean, there are a number of different places within the ETF market overall where people do try to find that hunt for yield, right, that, that, that income type play. We heard Tom mention some of those fixed income plays that are, that are kind of coming to the forefront right now. I wonder, have you seen any, anything in your mind trend-wise with regard to certain exact parts of the market that are going to be hotter than others when it comes to some of that income trade? Is it going to be more in real estate investment trusts? Is it going to be so, towards some of these more, more dividend-type paying names like the aristocrats? Is it going to be certain energy parts of the market in anticipation of spending? i got to figure there's a ton of things out there catalyst-wise that could drive that income trade. Yeah, I, I think to kind of pass that a little bit more, you see interest, in, and we've, we've seen this over a number of years, but we'll continue to see interest in companies, high-quality companies that have a track record and can demonstrate a track record of increasing their dividend over time. That becomes more attractive. We've also seen a lot of interest in a space that we operate, which is in the pass-through uh, security sector of the market. So providing uh, income from places that link to hard assets or real assets that again, have a more of an inflation-related uh, spin on the income. So that's things like master limited partnerships or MLPs, REITs, um, which deal with physical property, not mortgages. And so I think this is an area, an interesting area of the market where we're going to see more uh, interest next year that this real asset-orientated income. All right, Tom, it's been a huge year. I mean, a big one for, for ETF flows. The second best year on record now with north of $600 billion that we've seen, can we expect to see the industry maintain this kind of momentum heading into next year? And if so, hypothetically, what sectors stand to benefit the most from that investor money that's been pouring into exchange-traded funds? Right, Tom. I mean, look, at, at, at when you look at 30,000 feet, um, Mutual fund companies are continuing to have a tough time holding on to assets. Again, nothing against mutual funds. It's all about a choice. It's all about a wrapper. But when when you look at the vehicle of choice, it really has been ETFs for a variety of reasons. We touched on tax loss harvesting. Um, that has shown it, it a lot of money coming out of mutual funds 
into ETFs. And then you, if you look at the big players, the big asset managers, you've got companies like Alliance Bernstein, Morgan Stanley, Capital Group, Newberger Berman, that traditionally were in the separate account side or the mutual fund side that are now coming into the ETF space. And companies like Dimensional Fund Advisors that have converted their mutual funds into ETFs, I think we're going to see a lot more of that as well. There are also, as you mentioned, a lot of choices. Uh, when you look at the uh, options overlay strategies in some of these equity-based ETFs that not only replicate the equity markets and, and provide a little bit of a buffer, but they also provide some pretty strong yields. Uh, companies like JP Morgan with their JEPI product or Na Nationwide with uh, Newsy, NUSI, if you can replicate an index while at the same time getting a 7 8 9% yield, it's pretty attractive. All right. So, so those income instruments, again, continue to be in focus here. And of course, the tax issues surrounding ETFs versus mutual funds, the timing that which you can take them, the optionality that ETFs give you, maybe one of the reasons why they're becoming more attractive versus mutual funds in that regard. Uh, another bright spot, by the way, in the ETF business as of late has been these leveraged and these inverse and single stock ETFs or any combination of those words. A phenomenon, by the way, that's clearly taken the ETF business by storm. We've seen the Tesla Bear ETF, which is ticker TSLS, see big inflows since launching back in August. Now, we should mention that ETF resets, by the way, that one specifically on a daily basis and gives you the daily inverse performance of Tesla shares on that particular day. Now, tomorrow, Granite Shares is gearing up to launch three new leveraged single stock ETFs on the NASDAQ, allowing investors to place even more amplified or leveraged bets on popular names, including Meta Platforms, NVIDIA, and Alibaba as well. We have the guy, we have it straight from the horse's mouth, Will, tell us more about this new suite of ETFs. Why now and why have such single stock products gained so much momentum and traction in 2022 and will it continue in 2023? Will, is that, are you there? Can you hear us? Yeah, sorry, I think I, I lost you for a second there. All right, so, so um, I, I guess my, yeah, we're, did, you, did you hear my question? Um, About no, single, sorry, okay. if, you, if you could repeat the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, of course. We had talked a little bit about the advent and the emergence, if you will, of single stock ETFs over the course of 2022. It allows a lot of investors to take specific views on stocks on both the long and short side with even leverage attached to them. So even more uber bullish or uber bearish on a certain stock using an ETF product. I wonder, since you're running an ETF company that manages these types of single stock ETF products, can you tell us why you think those types of ETFs, single stock ones, have gained so much momentum in 2022? Yeah, thanks. Good question. I think it's really a simple answer and that more people are managing more of their own money. And to go back to the, the original point that you mentioned about you know, the ETF inflows, you know, one point that doesn't get discussed a lot is advisor fees and the fees that people pay for money management more broadly. Now, people care less about that in a market where they're making money. The market is always going up. And you know, the amount you're paying your advisor or an investing service is less of an issue. But people really care about that when you're losing money and people start to fixate more on the fees and the performance of managers. And all that leads into this trend that we're seeing you know, over and over again, which is people are taking more control 
of the money of their own resources and managing that. And in part, you know, what that means is more focus on levered single stocks or individual securities, as well as obviously other sectors of the market uh, that people are interested in. But it ultimately comes down to people taking more control of their own uh, finances. Will, uh, if I could follow up just very briefly here, and I know it's a complicated question. Is there a worry in your mind that there has become, in essence, a gambling mentality or a gaming mentality between between some of these names? And that's the reason why some of these folks have gravitated towards inverse and leveraged products that can enhance returns. If they can't get enough of just meta on the beta alone basis, they can lever it up and get one way or the other's exposure. Is there a worry that that kind of leads to to perhaps irresponsibility down the line with regard to managing risk? Well, I think that, you know, leverage ETFs, and they all work the same way, have been around for over a decade. So people have, you know, a lot of experience with these products in terms of how they work. That doesn't mean that there's not more room for education. There's not more room to, to, to have these kind of strategies out there and explain, you know, more detail how they work. But I think the leverage involved in these single stocks is actually less than what you see with other parts of the leverage market, particularly even the leverage ETF market. So we're typically talking about 1.5 times uh, the daily performance of an underlying company like Alibaba or Meta. So, of course, there are going to be some people that this is not appropriate for. These are really designed for active traders, you know, people who are experienced in the market, who probably have active trader accounts and are very familiar with these underlying companies. And definitely that they're not, you know, long term buy and hold, you know, one size fits all type solutions. But for the right investor, for the right trader, you know, they provide that exposure that people are looking for in some of these cases, which is you know, short-term amplification against big names, or indeed, if you're inverse, you know, inverse exposure, which for the majority of investors is still incredibly difficult to get. It's an excellent point, Will, understanding some of the risks associated with these, these instruments. Uh, Tom, in hearing what we just heard from Will, how exactly would you or us as a society, basically, measure the success of these leveraged and single stock ETFs. Many are expecting the markets to be stuck in this kind of fat and flat type trading range next year. Does that factor into investors' need for finding more alpha outperformance rather than just market exposure or that beta? Well, Tommy, as Will said, it just gives more options. Uh, These types of ETFs have been around, as Will said, for a long period of time. We have to give individuals credit. Uh, they're not if, if they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, it's not going to be with an ETF. It's going to be with a meme stock or cryptocurrency or NFTs or, or something like that. We uh, have a lot of sophisticated investors and advisors that are using them. The volume has increased dramatically over the years, especially with this downturn in the marketplace. But it's meant for traders. It's meant for more sophisticated investors, and you have to look at it every day. With these new single stock ETFs, the great advantage is if you want to put more money in it or if you want to be short, you can do so in this ETF structure without having to fill out a margin application or an options application with your brokerage platform. So kind of a, a neat opportunity for investors out there, but They know they have to be careful. These things have been around for a long period of time. There's been a heck of a lot of education that's been out there led by SEC guidance and the ETF issuers that offer them up. So 
more importantly, as we look at the ETF space continue to evolve, there are more and more choices, which makes a lot of sense as the structure has kind of held the test of time as we're coming on 30 years of ETFs as we look back on to uh, SPY, the first ETF that we had in the, in the U.S. in 1993. It's, it's been a great run. A huge run for sure here. Will, Granite Shares has already had several single-stock ETFs in Europe for a few years now. Why has the reception overseas been perhaps warmer to these types of products from a regulatory perspective than here? And maybe that goes to my question to both you and Tom with regard to the risk tolerance and profile for these products. I, th- I think it was more a case that um, what most of all don't know, Dom, is that in the U.S., uh, there were only actually two companies allowed to launch levered products. So when we started Granite Shares, we weren't allowed to launch any levered products. It wasn't possible. And that's really been the state of play in the market for a long time. It's a market structure uh, issue. And that really changed over the last couple of years with the introduction of the ETF rule, um, which allowed companies like us or any company for that matter to launch leveraged products for the same time. So the U.S. has definitely had um, some issues with regards to you know, updating regulation around uh, leveraged funds and you know, providing that access to uh, issuers who want that. That wasn't the case in Europe. Um, it's just a slightly different case here uh, involving market access. But you know, I think in Europe, the, the reception of these products has been good. Um, and you know, there, there's more of a culture, perhaps you could say, in using derivative-based products. And so that's something that investors uh, perhaps are more used to. But that being said, you know, the U.S. is obviously a huge market for leveraged ETFs. It's the biggest market in the world for leveraged ETFs. And I think we're starting to see you know, some of that reflected in the, in the volumes here with um, these particular single stock funds, even though it's still very early days. The majority of these products launched only in August. So it's, it's early days. The, the trend certainly has been to the upside with regard to the trading activity and volumes for some of these single stock names for sure. Uh, OK, gentlemen, uh, finally, I want to bring up the, the commodity trade because we referenced it earlier. Those commodity prices have ebbed and kind of flowed along with every new headline that comes out of the China reopening story, uh, crude oil coming off its worst week in months, and then gold regaining some of its luster. But overall, there are still high hopes for a full-fledged reopening sometime after the spring, which would be possibly a net positive for assets like copper, like oil. But given all the worries out there about a recession in 2023, we have these conflicting cross-currents very much at play here. So let's drill down, pun intended, on the commodities complex. Uh, Will, we'll start with you here. You run several big commodities-linked ETFs like the Granite Shares Gold Trust. The ticker there is BAR for bar. Uh, What's your sense on where some of these precious metals prices will be in 2023? Can they continue to see some of the maybe upward momentum that we saw in the second half of this year? I think that we can, and you know, a large, large amount was based upon interest rates for the more interest rate sensitive commodities such as gold. And I think with the dollar seemingly peaked, um, at least short term, whether it's a, an absolute peak, we, we don't know, of course. But I think that some of those um, expectations are coming down, allowing metals like gold to appreciate. Um, but your metals, we, we're going to need them. They're absolutely vital for this energy transition that every major government in the world is talking about. We need more copper, we need more nickel, we need all of these metals which are going to help transition away from fossil fuels. So I think this is a longer term secular bull market for commodities, but in particular, commodities that will be used 
to hasten this transition away from fossil fuels. But that doesn't mean that there's not opportunity for oil and for some of the traditional, um, you know, certainly hybrid hydrocarbons as well, but they will definitely be battling against these recessionary forces and, you know, stimulation from the likes of China and things the next year. Tom, where are we in that so-called peak inflation narrative, that story? And how exactly do you view the commodities industry right now? And how do you reconcile all of these conflicting cross currents? I, I, I only ask this because you'd think when inflation fears are high that you'd see oil prices rising, but they've been falling. What gives? Yeah, uh, we're surveying advisors all the time, Dom, and in the last couple of years, their number one concern has been inflation. It's nice to see a little bit of a pullback, but really when you look to the next three to five years, we may be in higher inflationary times, which tends to bode well for commodities. Uh, to, to Will's point, even if we have a soft landing and we come out of a, a, a very tepid recession and we get back to that growth stage, whether we're building more, which we will be, or we're going to be transitioning away from fossil fuel, we need commodities. It's a, it comes down to a supply and demand issue. And one area, gold just hasn't done as, as expected in the last couple of years. It's been quite surprising. However, historically, if you look back, it tends to be a second half player. It tends to really kick in during the later years of an inflationary period. So look, don't count commodities out. If you don't have it in your portfolio, don't feel like you've missed it. There's only so many uh, bars of gold and barrels of oil that we can pull out of the ground. So if you look at it from a supply and demand standpoint, it makes sense. And there's some great commodity ETFs out there like the folks at Granite Shares are offering at, a, at the right price. So now's the time as people are adjusting portfolios. When you look at what you have in the portfolio, you've got to make sure you're diversified. All right, we got a couple seconds left here. I'm going to give two quick words to you to, to, to end the program today. Will, we'll start with you. The same question for you both. What's the biggest wild card for the ETF business in 2023? Wow, that's a great question. I think the, the wild card would be active performance coming back in a major way, so active management. Um, coming back into vogue and perhaps putting the cat among the proverbial pigeons um, in terms of you know, people's one-way directional view on you know, ETFs or passive always being superior. All right. So that's active versus passive. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I would say uh, equities coming back, surprising folks, but also being creative with these options overlay strategies because there's that demand for yield. However, the Fed may continue to raise rates well into 24. That's all for ETF Edge today. I'm Dominic Chu filling in for Bob Bassani. Thank you for tuning into our ETF Edge podcast. And remember, you can find all of our shows on our website, etfedge.cnbc.com. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.